Well, good morning and welcome to another episode of Business and Legal Week in Review. I'm your host, Peter Lamont. Today is July 6, 2015, and I uh, hope everybody had a nice 4th of July weekend. Can't believe that we are so far along into the summer, um, but we are. And uh, normally today we do our Week in Review show. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Today we are going to talk about vacation liability. And it's a uh, a unique and interesting topic because everybody likes to go on vacation. And, um, you know, we, we get very, I think, caught up in the idea of being on vacation. And nobody likes to think about any liability or, or um, injuries that could happen. So it's just something that we really don't talk about a lot, you know, because nobody likes to think about bad things that could happen while you're on vacation. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to take a little bit of a break. And and the reason that this came about, uh, because normally we do, obviously, the week in review, this came about because over the weekend, I was at a Fourth uh, of July barbecue, and while I was at the barbecue, somebody said to me, "Oh, you know, you're a lawyer, and God, you hate that. Like when, you, when somebody says that, you just want to run away." But um, you know, they said, "You're a lawyer. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you might have seen during your career?" And, um, you know, tell us some fun stories. And then it sort of evolved from talking about some fun stories into a serious discussion uh, that a lot of people had about protecting themselves while they're on vacation. And so, again, you know, it's something that nobody likes to talk about because nobody wants to hear about accidents that may occur on vacation. Um, But I think that you've got to at least go through some of these things. As a matter of fact, the the courts in New York prepared in 2013 like a 200-page analysis of travel accidents abroad, which is like super overkill, but um, it kind of like scares you to the point where you'd never want to go anywhere outside of the United States. But what I want to talk about today is what we can do, what we have to be concerned about, and what we need to know to protect ourselves while we're on vacation. We're also going to be streaming live on Meerkat. Again, uh, Meerkat is sort of a new experiment for us. I want to thank everybody for joining me today on Meerkat. And we're going to be uh, looking for some interaction and involvement from you guys out there on Meerkat because I want to know what you think about what we're talking about. I want to hear your opinion, too. So this is going to be completely sort of off-the-cuff, different type of show than what we normally would do on Monday mornings. But being that it's a Monday morning after a holiday, I don't think anybody's really in the mood to talk about business and legal news. So let's have some fun. So anybody out there on Meerkat and you want to get involved in the conversation, just go ahead and stick it up there and we'll talk about it. Anybody listening live, the call-in number, if you want to call in, is 347-855-8831. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about vacation, right? Vacation supposed to be fun, and uh, that's all there is to it. But 
there are a lot of things that you have to be concerned about, even when you're not traveling ab- abroad. And, you know, I don't want it to sound like, oh, my God, this, this guy is talking about all these scary things that could happen without giving it context. You know, things do happen that we have to be aware of. And, you know, just being aware of it, I don't think it's it's being a downer when you're like, oh, you know, let's talk about this potential issue that could come up. I think it's um, important to be aware of them, right? Just as long as you know that there's possibilities, then you could do things about it. All right, so the first thing that I want to talk about is this idea of trip insurance, because we see it all the time. And uh, especially if you go to resort locations like, for, for example, Disney World or places like that, they offer this vacation insurance. And, and I want to talk about that for a second because I think it can kind of be a little confusing for people and you need to know whether or not it's something that you want to purchase. So before you even go on vacation, you're presented with this decision, do I buy this trip insurance or do I not? Well, when you're considering buying trip insurance, you need to first see what this policy of insurance is. What is it going to do for you? What are the limitations? And that's going to require a little bit of knowledge about insurance policies. So I'm going to give you the two-second overview about insurance policies. What is the job of an insurance company? Well, the job is to collect your premiums and bet against you having an accident or needing to make a claim. They want to bet against you and they want to make money from you. That's how insurance companies work. They don't care about you. They care about themselves. They care about um, you know collecting your money and not paying out on claims. So that's I think the most important thing that you have to understand because we want to, as people, uh, believe that insurance companies and, and other things that we pay for are there to help us, and they are if you understand their limitations. So first of all, when you're looking at trip insurance, you need to understand what the policy says and to request a copy of whatever insurance policy that they're providing. Now, I know a lot of times if you're not going through a travel agent, but you're doing it yourself, you'll have an option to purchase additional trip insurance. And there's links and there's all these little, you know, small texts and you've got to read into it. Nobody really wants to do that. That's like getting instructions that come with, uh, you know, your brand new TV. How many of you actually look at the instructions? I don't. So looking at the policy is going to be important you the policy, you should ask for it. I mean, you're going to be paying for it. You want to know what the limitations are. Now, every policy has terms and conditions that they lay out. They talk about making a claim. They talk about what a claim is, and they talk about exclusions to the policy. Well, what's a claim? claim is something that you're going to file. That's what you're going to make to say, listen, I need to trigger the insurance coverage Something happens, whether it was an accident or a loss or an accident with your car, something happened. I now need to trigger this insurance. So you make a claim. You file a claim. And you alert 
the insurance company that you have an issue. Now, a couple of points before I get to this question on uh, Meerkat about coverage. If you don't make a claim in a timely fashion, that's grounds for an insurance company to deny. So let's say you have an accident on Monday and you don't tell them until you come back from vacation a month later. Now, you know, it depends on your state and it depends on what the policy says as far as the optimal amount of time that you have to make a claim. But it does give grounds for insurance companies to deny coverage, and that depends on your state and, again, on the policy. Now, the question on Meerkat from Market Slayer, how are you today? Um, coverage from a credit card, enough. It depends. It depends on what it is that you're seeking to protect yourself from. Sometimes credit cards like American Express will give you very good coverage as long as you know what that coverage is. And again, even if you're getting it from your credit card, you need to see what the exclusions and limitations are. You also need to understand how to make a claim, what your time limitations are to make that claim. The good thing with a credit card making purchases is that you have the ability to request a chargeback. A chargeback basically is when you go to the credit card company and you say, listen, I didn't get what I paid for. I want my money back. And they'll look at it and get it within a certain time period. And each credit card company provides you with their timetable. And you can go and you can say, all right, I want a chargeback. They'll look at it. They'll contact the merchant. The merchant has a chance to dispute it. And if it's not disputed or they find it in your favor, then, yes, you get your credit reversed, get that charge reversed. So there's that type of insurance from a credit card, but then there's the standard insurance policies that these credit card companies offer you on top of sometimes what your general credit card protection is. So if that's what you're getting, an additional add-on to your credit card, then you need to look at the policy. And the same is true with anything that you're going to do trip-related, especially at Disney. Disney's a good example because they talk about this additional trip insurance, and they tell you that in the event that somebody is sick, or there's a problem that you can get your money back minus a small deductible. And, and that's great because, you know, face it, going to Disney is very, very expensive. And a lot of times people save up all their lives to take their family to Disney. And if somebody's sick or there's a problem at, at, at home, um, you know, pipe bursts and you can't go when you wanted to go, and now you're out all this money. So that's the theoretical idea behind trip insurance. But how do you know that the trip insurance that you're purchasing is really going to be what you need? The only way is to read the policy. It, it's terrible. It's like the worst reading ever. Like, you know, it's not even bathroom reading, but you have to do it. And the things I want you to look for are what is covered. And there's definitions in there. And if you read through the definitions, while a lot of legalese, you should be able to get a handle on what is covered. So you look at coverages, and it'll talk about accidental loss, damage, personal injury. That's what you review to see what is covered. Then you want to look at how you report a claim, how much time you have. Generally, these policies say as soon as practicable or as soon as possible. And then you want to look at exclusions. Because let's say you're going on vacation and you're going to be at a, um, you know, I, I don't know, a, a place where maybe you're going to Florida and there, it's hurricane season because you're going towards the end of August. Maybe your trip insurance 
does not cover hurricanes or weather-related issues. So you need to know that because you get down there and halfway down, you got to turn around because there's a hurricane and now you lose your money. Or, you know, you get down there and the resort has no power because of a hurricane and you're going to make a claim and the insurance company says, wait a minute, that's not covered. That's not a covered claim. Well, now you're screwed. You're out the money and you don't get your vacation. That's because, you know, you didn't read the insurance. So is insurance good or bad? Let's cut to the chase. It's good if it fits your needs. And in order for you to determine if it fits your needs, you have to understand what the policy of insurance provides. What is the deductible? How much do you have to pay? What is covered? What is not covered? How do you report the claim? And what are the exclusions? If you look at a piece of insurance, and this goes for anything, but we're talking about vacations today. So if you look at that piece of insurance and you can see that, uh, water or weather-related weather cancellations are not covered by your insurance policy, then, and you're going to an area where you're going to be, uh, you know, possibility of hurricanes, then maybe that policy of insurance isn't good for you. The other thing is to look at the cost, because there is this cost-to-benefit analysis, too. If you're going to be paying $5,000 for a vacation, and it's going to cost you $1,000 for the coverage, and then there's a cap on what they're going to reimburse you for, maybe it's not going to be worth it because $5,000 minus the $1,000 that you pay for the coverage, then if they only cover up to $2,500, that might not be worth it for you. So you've got to understand the policy. So that's number one. If you're using a vacation planner or a tour guide company, you can ask them, but you have to challenge them because a lot of times they'll staff people that don't know anything about the coverage of the product that they're selling. All they know how to do is plan vacations. They don't really understand the insurance issues, and they just tell you what you want to hear. So make sure that you see the policy. Don't just take somebody's word for it. Make sure that you review the policy. And, you know, quite honestly, I know it's silly, but if you, if you have something like that and you have a question, you can always go to a lawyer. Uh, I wouldn't pay. For you know, for for that, quite frankly, I mean, I would ask a question, and if the lawyer's not willing to give you an answer, then you know, I wouldn't use that lawyer for anything. Um, but for example, I mean, anybody out there, if you happen to have a piece of travel insurance and you have a quick question and you want to know whether or not it's something you should do, and you want my opinion, I invite you to call me, contact me. I, I'm not going to charge you for it. I want to make sure that everybody understands what they're getting themselves into, which is the whole point of UTO Radio. I want people to have some knowledge and be able to handle certain matters on their own because it kind of sucks to get a, a piece of insurance and have no idea what it is that you are getting and there's nobody to talk to. There's nobody to call or ask. So I invite you out there, if you have a question like that, you know, give me a call, put something out there on Twitter. Um, all of the links to contact me are on utlradio.com. So go ahead and do that because you want to make sure you know what you're getting. Have I purchased insur trip insurance before? Yes. I've done it through airlines. I've also done it through Disney, for example. Have I ever used it? No. But sometimes when you're, you're putting down a lot of money on a trip, you know, you like to have that added security. But 
you know, that's again, that goes back to what I said about the insurance companies betting against you. They're going to bet that you're not going to make a claim and they're going to make money off of you. So that's, that's how that works. All right. Now, something a little bit juicier that we're going to talk about coming later, and that's about some of these actions, especially if you have kids. But before we get into the juicy part, I just have to mention automobiles because that is another area of concern on vacation. And I'm going to tell you a quick story. Um, I, I represented a family a few years ago that was involved in a really, really bad accident on 95 in North Carolina. And they were coming back from, of all places, Disney World. Uh, they had everything right. Seatbelts on, going the speed limit, paying attention. They had two, a driver and a, a front seat passenger and then a, a rear seat passenger. Everybody wearing the seatbelt, everybody paying attention, going the speed limit. They weren't distracted. There was no radar detector, no GPS. They were just driving on 95 in North Carolina. And there's this area of 95 in North Carolina, for those of you who, who are familiar with 95, where it becomes two lanes. And they're in the left lane, and there's a, an on-ramp where you're merging onto 95 from an exit. And this tractor trailer, this 18-wheeler, is merging onto 95. But, so for those of you on Meerkat, left lane is our car. Then there's a right lane, so it's a two-lane road, and there was a pickup truck. And then there's this truck, this 18-wheeler, merging onto the highway. And as the truck merges, he doesn't yield, he doesn't stop, even though he had a stop sign. He just barrels down on a 95. And that causes the pickup truck in that far right lane to swerve to avoid being hit by the, the truck. And they clip the driver, who was our client, in the left uh, lane, in the front passenger quarter panel. And it causes that car to veer off to the right, hit into the guardrail, bounce off the guardrail. Now, by this point, the 18-wheeler was next to our car, hits the 18-wheeler, flips over, lands on the guardrail, and severs the whole top of the car. It shears it right off. Believe it or not, nobody died, and it was just really shocking. The pictures are something that you'd see in an action movie. But sure enough, you know, uh, it happened. And these people, they went, you know, for breakfast that morning. They're on their way home. They didn't think anything like this would happen, but that's when things happen. So um, they were airlifted. They had to have the jaws of life, cut, cut them out of the car. They were airlifted, taken to a hospital. And um, when, you know, they were finally released, it took them over a year and a half just to recover. I mean, there was psychological issues. It was very bad. But they were doing nothing wrong. It was the truck's fault. But you know what? My position in light of that and some of the other uh, lawsuits and accidents that I've been involved in is this. You have to be proactive as a driver, especially when you are uh, on a road that can kind of lull you to sleep. Now, you know, my, my guys were doing the right thing. They were they were driving along, minding their own business. But when I approach an on-ramp, especially on 95, I'm going to at least glance to see what's going on as I'm passing because I want to be aware of my surroundings. You know, 
if they had seen that tractor trailer, they would have had an opportunity to perhaps make an adjustment because the guy was barreling down the road. So I just want to point out the fact that, you know, cruise control is a great thing, but use it sparingly. Pay attention because in one instant, your entire life can change. People can die and you could be going to or coming from a wonderful vacation and the next thing you know, you are, you know, in a hospital, being airlifted, your children are killed. It's just very, very tragic. So be careful. Obviously, there's all those things out there that everybody tells you, don't drink and drive, don't um, be distracted. And I want to just talk about that for a second. There are some states out there that have laws concerning the use of a cell phone. Almost every state now has a no texting while you're driving statute. Um, interestingly enough, last year, New Jersey tried to implement this new uh, legal structure where if you were texting somebody that you knew was operating a car, so you're home and you know that your friend Sally is driving her car on vacation and you know she's actually operating the car at that time and you text her and she gets into an accident, you could be partially liable. And that's what New Jersey was working on. Ultimately, uh, the, the higher courts struck that down because that's crazy. How do you know when your friends are driving? That requires you to keep tabs on your friends when ultimately, if your friend is driving the car, it's he or she who should not be texting back. So um, they, they struck that down. But the reason that I'm getting into this point is that even if your state doesn't have a specific don't text while you drive statute, they all have distracted driving statutes. And a lot of times, both from a criminal, you know, the police give you a ticket, or from a civil liability, and that's where, you know, there's a personal injury involved, and now you've got civil liability resulting from it. Oftentimes, the way that they get you on these claims is by saying you were distracted. So if you're looking at the radio, if you are um, looking at your um, GPS and playing with it, you know, adjusting it, if you're texting, if you're looking at your cell phone, any of those things could be considered distracted driving, which triggers liability from a civil standpoint and could violate criminal statutes at the same time. So just be aware of that. I know on long drives it can get very boring, and of course if you've got kids in the back seat, but be aware that uh, a good attorney could come back at you and make that allegation that you were in, involved in some distracted driving because of what you were doing at the time. All right, so those are the standard ones. Trip insurance, obviously, something that you should look at, make sure you have the policy, driving while you're going on vacation is clearly important. Make sure you pay attention to um, this whole idea of distracted driving. But now let's talk a little bit about some of the more interesting issues. Um, I want to say they're juicy, but they're also very disturbing. So this is one thing that, that I think you have to know about. You have to talk about it. And, and one thing for me is this. I've got three kids. And when I bring my kids into a hotel room. You know how kids are. They get all excited. It's like they've never seen a hotel room before. Every hotel room is the, the greatest hotel room ever. But those doors, the exterior doors on your hotel room, 
They're very, very heavy. And they're meant to be that way on purpose. They're meant that way for security. They're generally steel-reinforced doors. They're meant to be that way for fire purposes. Well, a number of years ago, I want to say maybe 10 years ago, I was involved in a case where this, I think he was 10 at the time, 10-year-old boy, was exiting his hotel room with his parents. So his father leaves first, his mother leaves, his sister leaves, and then he leaves. And as he is leaving, the sister runs back in to get something that she had forgotten. So now he's standing outside the door. Sister goes back in to get something. While she's going back to get something, he takes his fingers and he sticks them, sticks them in that slot, you know, in the corner of the door where the hinges are. And he's not paying attention. He's not doing it on purpose. He's just, you know, holding onto the wall and sticks his fingers there. She comes running out of the room and lets the door go. And the kid doesn't pull his hand away quickly enough. And the door acts like a guillotine and it chops off the tips, three of his fingers. And, you know, here they are. They were happened to be um, in, I think it was L.A., and so they were able to get medical attention immediately, and um, the kid was, was fortunate enough that they were able to reattach the severed fingers. He never functioned. His hand didn't function the way that it would have normally if that hadn't happened. But you have to be really careful. And I, I'm tell, I tell my kids all the time, those doors are super heavy. They're super heavy for a reason. If you're in your room, you don't want somebody coming in, but don't. Take your eyes off your kids and tell them about that because it happens so quick and that door is so heavy that when that thing closes, it'll just it'll cut your fingers off. And it'll do it for adults, too, but for kids especially. So that's one thing that you might not think about that you have to be aware of. The other thing is um, premises related. So a few years ago, you know, I was involved in another suit where somebody was walking down the hallway in a hotel and an area of carpet had been uh, lifted up and the hotel should have known about it, but they didn't do anything about it. And this person walked, tripped and fell and tore their meniscus in their knee and they sued the hotel. And um, I was representing the hotel at the time and the hotel's defense was that they didn't know about this condition, but plaintiff was able to prove that the torn rug had been there for a long time and that was evidenced by the fact that there was such severe discoloration and fraying of the area where the carpet was ripped that there's no way that it just happened because you can tell when you just rip something it's going to look different than something that's been ripped for a while and ultimately they they were found to be liable and had to pay. I don't care so much about you suing or the hotel getting sued. What I care about is that you guys are safe when you go away. And again, you know, people are going to think about what I'm saying as some sort of, oh, you know, this is doom and gloom and I just want to go on vacation and have, and have fun. So this isn't something that I want to hear about. But you should be aware of it, especially, especially if you have kids. All right. Next issue is one that I'm sure you're all familiar with, something that you, if you have kids, tell your kids all the time, and that is pools. 
I had a friend um, who was a professional baseball player. We went to high school together, and he was playing for the Florida Marlins at the time. And um, they had a house. And if you know Florida at all, obviously very hot. And this, this guy, he was a pitcher. He had a house that had a pool attached. It was like an, it's not an indoor pool, but if you know what I'm talking about in Florida, they have these um, houses that have access to a pool, and it's generally a screened-in pool. And they have oftentimes these safety things. And so if you ever rent one of these places, you rent a condo or you rent a home in Florida for vacation, you'll see sometimes that they have these holes in the ground, and you stick these poles in, and the pole has like a fence, um, a soft mesh fence meant to deter kids and animals from going into the pool when somebody's not there watching them. So this uh, this friend of mine did not have that pole up, and he had a three-year-old boy who walked over to the pool, went to touch the water, and fell in, nearly drowned. And by, you know, only by by by. God's grace did this kid survive because he was down there for a while before uh, his mother saw him and they scooped him up and took him to the hospital and he was okay. But this was a rental house that they had down in Florida. They had just moved down there because I believe he was playing for the Mets up in New York and they just moved down to Florida so that he could start spring training or I think it was spring training with the Marlins and he wasn't used to this idea of, of this pool being attached because up here in the Northeast you generally don't have things like what they have in Florida and sure enough um, the kid almost drowned. So you have to be really, really careful with things like that, pools in general. You know, I hear all these stories about moms and dads who take their kids into the pool who they themselves don't really know how to swim. Just a couple of weeks ago, there was a mom who took her two kids, it was either one or two kids, into the pool with her, but she was not a good swimmer at all, and they all drowned. And, you know, it's just like these kids, you know, I think about it, and I think about how excited they were probably, uh, they, were, they probably were that day to go into the pool. And their mom, you know, they bring them down to the pool, she's super excited, the kids are excited, they get in the water, and they drown. I mean, it's terrible. So that's something that you really have to be aware of. In in a second, kids can drown. You know, for me, I used to like going down to the beach when I was single or when we were first married, when you didn't have kids and you'd fall asleep on the beach and you know it was like the greatest sleep ever. And I, I don't mean to sound condescending because I'm I'm not. I just want to make you aware of it. You can't. You can't do that with kids because in a second you could lose them. So you have to be aware of that pool-related or those pool-related uh, injuries because they happen all the time. So if you are in an area like Florida where you're renting a condo or something like that and they have those poles, make sure you use them. Make sure that you take all of the necessary precautions to keep your kids safe. All right. Now I want to talk about another type of accident, and these generally happen when you leave the United States, when you are going on vacation somewhere, maybe in South America or one of the islands, and, and this happens all the time. 
You know those zip lines? Anybody ever been on a zip line? Well, you string this this cable from tree to tree, and you hold on to this wheelie thing handle that's attached to wheels, and you just zip on down this, this line. And it's really fun, but it's also really dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. And when you go out of mainland um, America, right, and you go into these other countries, you have this whole host of possible things that could go wrong that could affect your health and your trip. And Marcus Slayer just indicated on Meerkat food poisoning, and you're totally right. We'll get to food poisoning in a second. But these outdoor activities are often staffed by people who are seasonal employees, or people who don't really know what they're doing. And a couple years ago, somebody was down in, um, I think it was Costa Rica, and they were ziplining from tree to tree. And they did not explain to this person that when you get to the end of the, the zip line, you should let the man who's standing there catch you, let him help you off of the line. And instead, she stuck her foot straight out in the air and it jammed into a tree and it shattered her bone. I mean, like coming through the skin shattered. And she had to have multiple surgeries and plates and all that sort of thing put in. It was really, really bad. And so um, that's something that you have to be aware of because these, these people that are operating a lot of these outdoor activities, whether it's kayaking or canoeing or zip lining or cliff diving, they don't know what you know and don't know. And half of them have difficulty speaking English. So it's not like you can say to them, what do I do when I get down there? They, they just, you know, they don't understand. And so I would suggest to you that before you do something like that, that you ask questions and you make sure that you understand what it is you're supposed to be doing and make sure that you feel that there's some level of confidence that you have with these people who are operating the extraction or, or the, I should say, the attraction, not extraction, the attraction or uh, the event that you're going to be engaging in, the activity that you're going to be engaging in. Because if they don't communicate adequately enough with you where you feel confident that they are competent, you shouldn't you shouldn't engage in that activity because I've seen people get injured on horseback riding excursions out of the mainland U.S. where you don't have somebody who adequately knows how to control a horse and you're on a trail. And so how bad can that be? Because the one horse follows the other horse. But when the one horse gets spooked and then it screws up the whole line of horses, you know, you have to know as um, somebody who is supervising that excursion how to handle that situation. And if you don't ask enough questions, you don't know. Some, for some reason, at least in my family, when you go on vacation, you kind of lose all sense of reality, right? Common sense goes out the window. You see people doing things or um, offering an activity, and it looks fun, and you're on vacation, and you feel all carefree, and you're like, all right, yeah, go do that. Just be aware of some of the potential issues that, that can, you know, be out there for you. Now, Market Slayer talked about food poisoning. Food poisoning, especially when you're outside of the U.S., is something that you have to be 
seriously aware of because, you know, I think we've probably all at one point in our lives had some sort of bout of food poisoning. And most of us, if you were fortunate, it's been moderate. It's been some sort of mild level of food poisoning. But if you end up getting something that is uncooked, especially fish down the islands, right? If you have an issue where you are eating something that was not prepared properly or you go to a restaurant that doesn't seem to look like it was, it's up to code. You know, a lot of times you'll see these quaint little places and you're like, oh, that place looks cool. But it doesn't look like it's anything but a shack. And a lot of times, you know, people will say to you, oh, go here because it's really great local food. But it might not be, A, up to code, B, it might not use the highest quality ingredients, and C, the people that do eat there who live there might have become accustomed to whatever bacteria may be in that food or that style of cooking, and it doesn't affect them, but it's going to affect you. Food poisoning can be so severe in certain cases that it can kill you. And if it doesn't kill you, it can definitely ruin your trip because you're talking about three or four days where you're laid up. And to jump back to a point where I was talking about the uh, an earlier point of this broadcast, insurance, trip insurance, a lot of trip insurance does not cover food poisoning. So if it's something that you did to yourself, for example, eating, they will exclude that from your coverage. So if you miss three days because you're in bed sick or in the bathroom sick, you might not be able to recoup that money that your trip insurance was supposedly providing you. So that's something that you have to be aware of. But yeah, food poisoning is very serious and it can really ruin a complete trip. And it, it, in the extreme position, it can kill you. And this, this document that I was talking to you about um, prepared by the courts of New York for 2000, you know, one of the top issues that they identify here with foreign travel is food, you know, foodborne illness and its impact on travelers. But there's a ton of other things that you have to be aware of as well as food poisoning. So let's talk for a second about inadequate security. When I was in college a long time ago, I threw the javelin. Like, javelin was my sport. I did it in high school and did it in college. I was actually something like, I think it was nine or ten feet away from qualifying for the Olympic trials. So I was I was good, um, but, you know, I digress. I don't even know why I'm telling you how good I was at the javelin. But um, why I'm telling you the story is because as part of our track team training, in early spring, in college, we went down to Jamaica to train because, obviously, weather conditions. So we went down to Jamaica, and a couple of the girls decided that they were going to go off the resort and explore the local areas. And I know that you guys out there are aware that you should not wander away from your resort area, especially in places like Jamaica. Because while it's interesting to see local culture and see how local um, communities live and evolve, what you find is crime and, um, you know, crime, like, 
they're going to hold you up. They could they could threaten your life kind of crime. The one girl who went down with us on the track team, she and her friend, um, welcome, small, what is it, small, can't see. I need glasses. And uh, I, I meant, by the way, for those of you on Meerkat, um, to put up that Meerkat streams on my laptop. I just was running very late this morning. Things were not as prepared as I had wanted them to be. So um, I apologize if I cannot see your name on the phone, but welcome. Uh, yes, especially Jamaica because of the poverty. You're absolutely right. When you venture outside of your resort area, you just don't know what you're going to find. But getting back to my story, this this girl from the track team, she went out and they held her up. Um, oh, hi, Susan. They held her up at knife point and stole her wallet. And it sounds like it's uh, a movie or something that just wouldn't happen to you. But I think that poverty levels, and, and Susan, you're absolutely right for pointing out the poverty, poverty levels in areas outside of the resort towns, when you might have a resort town that's got these multi-million dollar facilities and hotels, that's where all the money goes. Outside of that resort, you're looking at poverty. Uh, even, even in something like Hawaii, any of you guys out there, ever see that show that used to be on, I think it's still on, Dog the Bounty Hunter. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Dog was this this ex-con who turned bounty hunter. Uh, I think he had some uh, problems a few years ago for saying some some racial, or made, made a racial comment, something like that, and was thrown off of the one network and then picked up by somebody else. But not I don't care about Dog. What I care about is that when you look at where Dog goes out and hunts people. It is not where I would want to go and visit in Hawaii. It is very poor. It's a lot of crime. It's a lot of ghettos. That's what lurks outside of the popular resort areas. And um, to, to Susan's point here, they prey on tourists. Absolutely, they do. They know that a lot of unsuspecting tourists are going to be visiting their island, and they make a living out of not just scamming you, but, but actually robbing you. I'm sure if anybody's ever been down to Jamaica or any of the islands, I mean, even some of the really exclusive, you know, St. Martin, you go down outside that area, you're going to have people trying to sell you stuff all the time. And I know you know that. They're coming up, they're trying to sell you things that they've made, but while that might be annoying, a lot of those people are just annoying. They're not going to, to steal. That's just the way it is. They're coming up to the beach, and they get shooed away by the people that own the resort or whatever. But when you venture outside, it is completely uh, just out of control. Um, there's not a lot of, of police, and nobody is going to believe you. And no, even if they do believe you, there's nothing that they can do about it. So you have to be really, really careful. You know, believe it or not, this is going to sound completely crazy, but do you know that there are people that go down to Mexico for vacation and end up being kidnapped? I mean, this is like a crazy thing. Who would ever think that you'd go on vacation to Mexico and somebody in your family would end up being kidnapped? I mean, that's like a Liam Neeson movie or something, but it really happens. So you have to be really careful when you go down outside of the U.S. 
The other thing that I want to mention about travel outside of the U.S. is medical care. If you're injured in something, you know, an activity, maybe you're scuba diving, maybe you're jet skiing, maybe you're doing zip lining. If you're injured, even if you have food poisoning and you're not in the U.S., your level of medical treatment is significantly lower. They don't know how to treat injuries. Uh, there was a, a kid that was down in, uh, I believe it was Punta Cana. He was not really a kid. He was 18. And he was um, running into the hotel, and they had pavers, like a paver driveway. And, uh, and yes, we're doing a live radio show. Um, so they had these pavers set up, and as he was running, one of the pavers had, they call it heaving, where it, uh, it, it elevates. And he tripped, tripped and fell, and he fractured his leg, but really, really bad. It was a, a compound fracture that needed hardware, needed you no know, screws and plates. They took him to a clinic. This little clinic next to a restaurant, they had no idea what to do for him. And they said it all wrong. And the kid was in pain. And by the time he got home, it started to heal. It started to heal wrong. It needed to be, uh, he needed to have surgery. He needed to have plates and screws. It was just really, really bad. And it's because of the level of medical care um, just non-existent in some of these places. And, and Susan uh, says that she's Mexican and her family's in Mexico and won't trust them. They attack Mexicans too. I mean, so I'm not making this up. You know, I've seen it through some of the, the cases that I've been involved with. But, um, you know, Susan has family there and she's, she's telling us that this stuff does in fact happen well beyond the action movies. So you have to really be aware of this because I don't think that people think about these things when they're planning their vacation. The other thing that I want to talk about, aside from the inadequate medical care, which I, I very afraid, even, even in Puerto Rico, um, there's areas where the medical care is lacking and there's areas of that island where I wouldn't want to go. So, you know, you have to be aware of, of your surroundings at all times. I want to talk a little bit about premises liability later on, and, and we'll go back to this kid who tripped and fell over the paver. But what I also want to talk about in general, and this expands beyond um, beyond traveling outside of the U.S. So negligent hiring, right? When you see these ads for summer help wanted, who do you think that they're getting? They're getting uh, people that are, are there on a temporary basis. They're summer help. They're advertising summer help. They're not looking for permanent employees. And again, this goes beyond going outside of mainland U.S. Even things in the U.S., uh, some of these attractions and things that you might play on. Up in Maine, they have um, these really cool outdoor, I don't know, it's like a giant uh, climbing thing. They're made out of wood, made out of like telephone poles, and they've got nets and ropes and pulleys. I'm sure they have them other places, but I recently saw it up in Maine, right outside of Freeport. Not Freeport. I um, uh, can't remember. 
It's right across the New Hampshire border. This is going to bother me now because I cannot think of it. Um, where Bob's Clam Shack or Bob's Clam Hut is before Kenny Bunkport. But in any event, it's around York Beach. There's these climbing apparatus. And when we went in, because my 13-year-old my wanted to go do it, I went in to go talk to them to see what kind of supervision or what kind of skill was needed, what kind of supervision there was. And they talked about the safety harnesses and everything. And I felt better about it. But all of the people that worked at that location were trained. There was no transitory or, or, or uh, temporary help. They were all there. And, yeah, corporate uh, team building attraction. Yeah, a- absolutely. There's some in California, too. They're really fun. They're really cool. But you want people that are working there to know how to hook up the harness, to know how to instruct you and to give you some guidance because there is some training that goes into this before you get on to the apparatus. But a lot of times when they're hiring summer help, they don't train these people because what the, remember, look, this is a business. As much as it's fun for us while we're on vacation, it's a business. And so what you find is that a lot of business owners are trying to cut costs and they hire summer temporary help and they don't train them adequately enough and they don't know, yeah, like carnival people, exactly. They don't know enough about safety. And so they don't know how to hook up the harness. They don't know how to uh, talk to people who maybe get up on something that's so high and then they start to panic. They don't know how to help them. And this idea of negligent hiring is important because I see it all the time. How, how many of you have gone on vacation and um, you, you had this one employee, whether it was a, a waiter or a, a speedboat operator uh, or, or you know anybody for that matter that an employer might consider non-essential. I'll give you an example. Um, there was a, I know this doesn't have to do with summer vacation, but there was a, a pumpkin farm that I went to last year outside of, of New Jersey, and they needed temporary help. They bring in these, these guys. They didn't even speak English, and they're driving this tractor, and a kid, it was like a hayride, a kid falls off the back of the trailer and he's laying on the ground screaming and they're yelling at the driver to stop the tractor and he just turns around and smiles at them because he doesn't know what the heck they're saying. So he's smiling, yes, yes. Meanwhile, the kid's on the ground, the mother's screaming, the father's screaming. Ultimately, he stops, the kid was okay. But this idea of hiring cheap labor as, as Susan pointed out, yeah, it's, it's cheap labor, and they don't spend the time to train you because a lot of times during a busy season, they just want to get somebody in, just a body, a body. They don't really care if they're actually going to be able to do the task. You know, I see it in water parks all the time. You know, a water park can be a ton of fun, but it can also be a serious Danger. It can be a very hazardous place to be, especially if you have parents who let their kids go there who are not really great swimmers or kids who might be in their eight, you know, 18, 16 to 18 range who aren't really great swimmers but go there anyway. Sometimes, you know, in wave pools, things happen. I understand it's not the ocean. You're not going to find sharks there, but you are going to potentially um, lose your footing. 
you could drown. I mean, it's just a fact. When when there's water, I mean, a little kid could drown in a bathtub. So when there's water involved in attractions like water parks and water slides, if you don't have adequate supervision and adequate training for these people to be able to assist you, you have to take it upon yourself to make a decision and decide, all right, my kid, even though he wants to or she wants to, they're not going on that because they don't feel confident enough. You know, you know, too, you know where there's good people, you know where there's bad people. You go down to Disney, you go down to the water parks there, and you know that there's a higher level or there's supposed to be a higher level of uh, training that goes into these employees, these cast members. They don't just stick anybody out there because they are aware, they're cognizant of liability. You know, when you, when you look at organizations that operate properly, Universal Studios, Disney World, even Universal's Wet n' Wild, I think they, they own Wet n' Wild down there in Orlando, these people that are in the administrative offices, they understand liability. They know that if they don't staff and train their people properly, they know that they can be sued. And every quarter there is an accident report that comes out of the Florida Orlando amusement park area, and you can see how many accidents. And you know what's amazing is that if you look at the report, the accidents are generally minor. And most of the time, the last quarter I looked at the reports, and I think that somebody had a heart attack on the Harry Potter ride in Universal or Islands of Adventure. Somebody else had an issue with uh, anxiety or panic on a ride. But these, this has nothing to do with safety or training of the employees. Now you go back, I guess it was last year, or maybe even two years ago, I think it was last year, the guy who rode the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Disney, who was from, I think he was from the UK, who stuck his fingers out of the boat into the water and he had his fingers cut off. You know, I go back and I say, listen, what do they tell you when you get on these boat rides or the tram or anywhere else at Disney? Please keep your arms and legs in the vehicle at all times. And you hear that everywhere. And that is adequate enough safety warning for an amusement park to use. And so when you get into the Pirates of the Caribbean, they, they you know there's signs, there's people telling you, keep your arms and legs in the vehicle. And if you don't do it, that's that's your own fault. It's your own stupidity. But when you're not in parks like Disney or Universal or SeaWorld where they are aware of liability and they want to limit their own liability, when you're not in those areas, if it's a, you know, somebody said, I think it was Susan, carnivals. Yeah. You know, you set up a local carnival and you're going to be there for a few days. I worry about that stuff. When you go down to a lot of these hotels that have water parks inside the hotel, there's um, like Great Wolf Lodge. They're a bigger company. As a matter of fact, I want to say that one of those companies is owned by Six Flags, who owns obviously Great Adventure. Um, those are, again, better staffed because you understand liability as the business owner, and you know that you want to try to protect yourself from liability. But you go down to some of these makeshift places or a mom-and-pop organization that have purchased an old hotel, and they put a water slide or water park inside the hotel. They generally do not have adequate training. They don't have people that are lifeguards. They don't have people that can help people, instruct them as to how to use the apparatus. I see this a lot. I was in Pennsylvania, 
and there was one of these uh, sort of converted hotels, and it was a family-owned hotel, and they made it into an inside into a water park, and they had one of those uh, surfing things. Um, you know, it's like that wave thing, and you, you stand up on a surfboard. So they, the person that was operating this had no idea what they were doing. They were only there to check wristbands to make sure that the person getting up onto the uh, surfboard had a, a wristband and had paid. But they actually didn't have any idea how to surf themselves or how to help anybody else. And I remember seeing this one kid get up on the surfboard, flew up in the air, and it was clearly because he didn't even get on the board the right way. And he moved so far up on the front of the board that the board shot out behind him, and he flipped over, and he really almost got seriously hurt. And the worst part about it is the guy that was there collecting the tickets just laughed. So, uh, you know, there's a comment that, that Susan made about selfie sticks on rides, and that's a good point, and that's why Disney Parks has banned the use of selfie sticks from anywhere in the park. As a matter of fact, they will confiscate selfie sticks as you enter the park at the security check-ins now because of the liability that, that it creates. I don't understand who goes on a ride and, you know, wants to hold up a selfie stick. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But this happened. And in California, uh, I think this is where the, 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 the shoe finally dropped. There were people on a ride and people complaining. And there's uh, some photographs of people out there on some of these Disney rides in Disneyland. And ultimately, the park said, you know, we got to stop this. There's too much liability here. Um, and that's a good thing. You want to have a park or a destination where people are cognizant of safety. You want them to fear liability because if they fear liability, they're going to better train employees and staff. They're going to better warn you and prepare you for some of the things that are out there. If they don't care about liability or they don't even think about liability, then they, they don't care about you. They care about their money. And again, look, I'm not trying to um, target maybe, you know, smaller operations that um, are budget conscious but are still trying to provide some sort of family experience. I, I applaud people that are trying to do things that are fun, whether it's a, a boat rental or a jet ski rental. But don't take on something if you're not going to take care of the safety of the people that are using your equipment or paying you. You know, when this drives me crazy all the time when I see things like um, rent a moped. And these people that are renting the mopeds have no idea how to even ride a bicycle. And, you know, you're, you're being given this moped or this Vespa. You have no idea how to balance yourself. You can't ride a bike. And now you're going to try to ride this Vespa. Somebody needs to say to you, because you clearly aren't smart enough yourself to say, I shouldn't be doing this. Somebody needs to say, this is not for you. You don't know how to do this, so you know, I, I recommend that you don't do it. <clears throat> and I understand that you as the business owner can't say, well, you don't look like you're steady enough, or you're, you're overweight, or you're too skinny, so I'm not going to let you do that. I understand you can't do that. And, and that's where, as long as you can explain limitations and make a, a warning or a statement, or you have somebody sign a waiver, all right, fine, you're covered. But 
if you're not even thinking along those lines as a business owner, then I worry as a guest <clears throat> how safe things are. Another point that I want to make is when you are going to be operating somebody else's equipment, a jet ski or a moped or whatever it is, look at it. I'm not saying go and conduct a 30-point inspection, but look at it. Is it old? Is it rusted? Does it look like it's been um, kept up? Or does it look like it's in need of repair? You know, again, you go down to Disney, and, uh, and, and I'm using Disney as an example, but Universal too. These places down there in, in Central Florida are really, really, as I know people will complain about certain things, but in the grand scheme, the big picture, these are the models that we should be trying to follow if we are business owners running some sort of summer entertainment destination because they do things for the most part correctly. They take enough time to make sure that their staff is trained. And uh, we, we had Lee Cockrell on just last Thursday, who was the vice president, former vice president of Walt Disney World Resort. And he was talking about training and how um, places like Universal have really stepped up their game to compete with the customer service that Disney provides. But it's more than just customer service in the sense that, oh, the customers are nice to you. Um, not customers, but the employees are nice to you. It's more about a full experience, and part of that experience is safety. So that's something that you need to look at. Look at the people that you're dealing with. If you don't feel confident or confident that these people that are operating a ride are aware of their surroundings and, and know what they're doing, then don't go on that ride or attraction. You know, uh, this happens a lot at, at little local carnivals. Maybe my kids will see a ride. And I can look at the ride and I can see it looks like it's shaking or wobbling. And even if it's okay, and even if 500 other kids go on that ride, I'm not going to let my kids do it because I just don't want to take the chance because they're too important to me. So that's the kind of thing that I do. Um, but that's what owners of these attractions should be doing too. And, and it's really assessing liability. And um, thanks for joining me, Susan. Um, it's really important. It's important to to understand that you could be in, in serious risk of an injury simply because of somebody else's negligence. Now, just to, to get technical for a second, let me just tell you what negligence is. Negligence consists of four parts, essentially. So first of all, in order to be found negligent in a civil lawsuit, you have to owe a duty. Right? You have to have a duty to somebody. So, A, you have to have a duty. B, you have to breach that duty. C, the person has to have sustained some damages, and the damages have to be directly connected to your breach of duty. So, let's put that in play. So, if you are um, a hotel and you have a lobby that has a marble floor, and somebody just mopped the marble floor, there's no signage up that says wet floor, and somebody comes in, slips and falls, and hits their head, cracks their skull. They sue you. So first of all, let's go through that analysis. A, did you, the hotel operator, owe a duty to the patron? Yes, you did, because you're offering your hotel in a stream of commerce, right? You want somebody to pay 
to stay in your hotel. And as you invite them into your hotel to spend money, you have a duty. You have an obligation to act as a reasonable person under the same circumstances would. So you have an obligation to act as a reasonable hotel operator, hotel owner. And that reasonableness is compared to other hotel operators. So, you know, step one, yeah, you have a duty. Did you breach that duty? Well, now when we talk about breach, we talk about things like foreseeability. Was it foreseeable that a customer could walk in to a marble floor that had just been mopped that was super wet and slip and fall? Is it foreseeable? Yes. So, because it was a foreseeable event, could you be in breach of your duty to act reasonable? If you have no signs put up, if you're mopping the floor in the middle of a day, you know, a busy day as opposed to at night when maybe it's less busy in the lobby, breached your duty of care, your duty to act reasonable under the circumstances. It might be unreasonable in a jury's eyes for you to mop the floor in the middle of a busy day and not put up any signage. Now, you have to go, because so we've done, do you have a duty? Yes. Did you breach the duty? Yes. Now there's damages. Well, the person fell and cracked their skull, and they're in pain. They have to go to the hospital, and there's medical bills, and there's some medical treatment, and maybe there's some short-term memory loss or some other injury that has presented itself. So now that's damages. That's something that you can calculate. Pain and suffering is something you can calculate, and, um, and you know, medical expenses clearly are. Now you go to that last step and you say, are the damages, are the injuries directly or approximately related to your breach of duty? And in this case, yes, because, and here's how you would analyze this, but for, but for the hotel's mopping of the floor during a very busy day, but for the hotel's failure to put up a sign that says caution wet floor, this wouldn't have happened. So in other words, if the hotel had put up a sign or roped off an area or waited to mop the floor until later, if they had done that, this accident wouldn't have happened. So that's how you lay out a negligence claim. That's how you look at a negligence claim in the context of um, a vacation, you know, especially premises liability. I have a, a video up on YouTube that I'll, I'll try to incorporate into today's discussion. I'm not sure if I'm going to edit some footage or, or how we're going to do it, but um, I was at a botanical garden down in Florida, I guess, late last year. And so it was maybe November, and I'm walking through the garden, and there was this tree that had fallen off on the, the left-hand side of this path that I was walking on. And in addition to the tree, there was an area of sidewalk where the slab had been elevated and heaved up off the, out of the ground. But it was a good two inches above the level sidewalk. So clearly a tripping hazard. But what they did was so, so good. They took orange spray paint and they sprayed that lip where the sidewalk had been elevated. And they sprayed the whole thing 
And then they roped off with yellow caution tape around the tree. So it made it nearly impossible for somebody who was walking to not see this tripping hazard. And I thought they did a really great job of protecting people from injury. Now, I also saw other places where, because um, it was my wife likes to take pictures. So she's a photographer. So we went down to, you know, have her take some of these pictures in these botanical gardens. So we went to another one that was outside of Orlando, and it was not maintained as well. And there were pavers in an area uh, that had become depressed, or it had sunken down. So some of the pavers were jagged and they were sticking up. And clearly somebody could have tripped and fallen on those. There wasn't even a warning sign around. So what's the rule with respect to business owners, um, what is their obligation to inspect and to make repairs? Well, it depends on your state because there's different laws in different states. But generally speaking, if you are going to be inviting somebody onto your property for commercial gain, in other words, um, you're going to get paid for this person being on your property, you have an obligation to inspect and repair within a reasonable amount of time equipment and Premises issues, you know, you can't say I didn't know about it um, because, like the example that I talked about earlier with the carpet, that hotel that did not repair that carpet, because it had become dried and frayed and discolored, that's how the plaintiff was able to establish liability because they're saying that the hotel knew or should have known about that condition. If something happens, like you're in a grocery store and uh, – a customer pulls off some grapes and the grapes fall on the floor and you trip and fall on those grapes immediately after them falling. That's different because, you know, the, the store might not have any liability because it happens so quickly. But what happens if that same customer knocks grapes off on the floor and the grapes sit there for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and nobody comes to clean it up? That case is different. That store might have some liability because they either knew or should have known. And when I say should have known, what it is is that they go back to that reasonable person standard. A reasonable uh, grocery store manager or a reasonable store would have somebody walking the aisles, especially in a produce aisle, where things can fall and it's wet. Um, so it would be reasonable for you to, within 20 minutes, have looked at the aisle to make sure that nothing had fallen on the floor. So there's a distinction there. All right. Another thing I want to talk about is inadequate security. And we were talking earlier about being outside the U.S. on an island vacation. But it's not just limited to islands or, or areas outside the U.S. It happens here in the mainland as well. And that is inadequate security. So, again, you take... Disney as an example, you take Universal Studios as an example, um, a lot of the bigger name hotels, you'll know that they have cameras in their lobbies, they have security people, uh, all of your doors are in your hotel rooms are heavy, they're solid wood or they're metal frame doors, you've got latches and locks and, and you know there's people that have cameras in the parking lot. And they're, they're, they're staff. They've got somebody at the front desk. 
so that when somebody comes into the hotel, they're greeted. And, you know, all these things are meant for security reasons. But there's a ton of places out there where there is no security, where there's no cameras in the parking lot, where there's no cameras in the lobby. They might not even have anybody in the lobby until somebody comes into the building. So in cases like that, you have to be really careful. Susan was talking a little bit ago about um, places in Mexico and how dangerous it can be because they'll just come up and they'll they'll steal, they'll they'll you know hold you up at knife point. I told you about when I was in college and we went down to Jamaica for the, the track team, how the girls got held up at knife point for their wallets. So these things definitely happen. And you have to be aware of it, and that's why we told you earlier, don't wander off of resort areas, especially in places like Jamaica. But inadequate security is something that you also have to be concerned about. Don't stay at a hotel that isn't secure. I mean, that's just common sense. Go to a hotel that, you know, even if you have to pay a little bit of a higher rate, uh, you know, a few years ago, we were coming back from a trip in South Carolina. And at this point, I mean, this has to be maybe maybe eight years ago. So I had my, my two kids at the time. Now I've got three, but I had two kids at the time, both boys. And my middle son was a baby at the time. And I was driving back from South Carolina. My wife does not like to drive on 95. So she's not much of a help, you know, driving back. And I had been driving all day, but I didn't realize it, but I had an ear infection. And so I was really, really dizzy. And I just thought I had like a sinus infection or a cold, but I was really dizzy. And I couldn't even see the lines in the road, right? I mean, um, there's something called road hypnosis when truckers get it, I guess, where you see the lines coming at you all the time and eventually you start to get dizzy. Well, this was like that, but it was because I had an ear infection. It was so, so bad. And it was really late. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And I thought I'd be able to make it back to New Jersey all in one shot. But because I was so dizzy, I was driving really slowly. We ended up staying in a hotel in Maryland. But it was not a hotel off the highway. It was a hotel in a really, really bad location. Now, I had no choice. There were no other hotels around. This was it. Or, you know, we slept in the car. So when you walked into the hotel lobby, there were signs all over the place. High crime area, we're not responsible, there's no security cameras, you know, lock your door, stay here at your own risk. And it was a, a brand name hotel. It wasn't a luxury hotel, obviously, but it was uh, a brand name. We had no choice. So we you know, got into the room, we barricaded the doors and things like that, but these places actually exist, and you have to really be careful about them. You know, nowadays, I mean, I'm talking about eight, nine years ago. Now you've got so many options out there with, with websites and apps like Booking.com and Hotels.com. It's so easy to look at a hotel and find a review. I don't know how many of you out there were um, traveling back in the 70s and 80s, but I remember, you know, you'd go to AAA and you'd get the trip tick and they'd map out your route in a, in a big highlighter. There was no GPS. There was no, let me look at my cell phone and find out what hotel I'm going to stay in or get the best rates. I remember looking through the AAA books 
and trying to find a hotel, you know, it was, you didn't even really call ahead. You were on the road. You had no idea where you were going. We used to do a lot of driving out west and kind of like these large family vacations where we'd go for two, two and a half weeks and we'd just drive. It was like uh, Clark Griswold, you know, get, getting in the, in the family roadster, truckster and, and driving out looking for Wally World. Well, that's what we did a lot. And I remember being in some god-awful places where there were no locks on the doors. And, you know, that was a different time. I feel like it was a different time. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because there, there seemed to be fewer people back then or people were nicer. I don't know. I mean, there were bad people in the 70s and 80s as well. But nowadays, maybe it's just the nature of my profession. I, I don't know what it is. But nowadays, I'm far more cautious, probably too cautious, and I like to have my plan, my trips uh, planned in advance. But I definitely think that it does help sort of save you from some possible either personal injury or, you know, related damages, that sort of thing. So I, I think that um, while our discussion today could be viewed as a downer, oh, wow, I just want to go on vacation. Why is this guy talking about all the things that could happen? I think it's worth noting. I think it's worth having a discussion about it because there's nothing worse than going on vacation and having something bad happen to you. You, know, you get injured, somebody gets held up, somebody has something stolen. You know, it's just um, you know something that you have to be aware of. I mean, the other thing I want to just say is some common sense stuff. You know, if you have a nice smartphone, uh, you have an iPhone, iPad, you've got some sort of you know Samsung. When you drive out of your area and you're taking a road trip and you're in an area that you don't know, don't leave that stuff in the car. Don't leave that stuff in a car at a rest area. You just don't know. You know, the other thing that as a parent, I, I just refuse to do. Now, my 13-year-old is capable of going in with his younger brother to the bathroom. You know, if we're in a restaurant that I'm comfortable with, something that's local, and my 9-year-old has to go to the bathroom, I'm a 13-year-old. Can you go take your brother to the bathroom? I know where the bathroom is. I can see him. It's okay. You know, he's 13. But if we are at a, a road stop, a truck stop, or a gas station, or somewhere I'm unfamiliar with, I'm not going to ask him to go do that. I'll do it because I don't know that location. And I don't trust other people. You know, it's not that I don't trust my son. I don't trust other people. And you never know what could happen. You know, just horror stories that are out there. And I'd rather keep them as horror stories than actually experience them. And that's why, you know, I, I try to take some precaution. You know, another tip that I think is important if you're taking a road trip, and this is like a tip that anybody who has a grandfather from the 60s and 70s or, you know, a parent, think back to some of the things that they used to do. They used to carry road flares in their car, right? They used to carry a screwdriver and all these extra tools just in case. But, you know, that actually is a really good idea because you don't know if you're going to need rope. You don't know if you're going to need uh, a flare or one of those glow sticks. So, you know, you just keep a little travel bag in your car with you, maybe a couple bottles of water, um, you know, a charger for your cell phone, just a couple things that you can keep in the car with you that if you have a problem, there is something somewhere for you to go. You know what I really like is uh, those, those, those battery chargers for the cars. I think Black & Decker makes one, and uh, there's a couple other models out there. 
But Black & Decker has this thing where it's a portable car starter. It's a jump starter. So this unit, it's not light. It's heavy. But it's manageable. I mean, you can pick it up with one hand. The unit has battery charging capability. So it's got two jumper cables, and you can attach them to your car. You can jump your battery, which is great. You don't need to have another car um, jump it with you, which is nice. But it also has things like a USB charging port, so you can charge your cell phone in case of an emergency. Uh, it also has a, an air pump and things like that. We're talking about less than $100. It's probably 70 or $80 for something like this. And when you charge it, the charge holds for months, like six or seven months, I believe. You just throw that in your trunk, and you've got something in case there is an issue. Obviously, we all have cell phones, so that certainly helps uh, because now you can just call 911 if you ever have a, a, an issue. But I like to be prepared. I always carry a knife and some rope. A few years ago, again, traveling from Florida back to New Jersey, we had a roof carrier, and the roof carrier was fine, but the um, the roof bar that you put the carrier on had weakened, and it was um, it was bouncing. The roof carrier was bouncing all the way home, so you couldn't go above 40 miles an hour on, on 95, which you know would take you like two months to get home. And the roof was starting to shake, like to the point where the interior lights were moving, and it was like, oh, you know, not only am I afraid that my roof's going to rip off. But what you have to be afraid of is what happens if that carrier comes off and there's people driving behind you because you could kill somebody. So I didn't have anything with me at that time because I wasn't prepared like a, a good Boy Scout should be. And I remember having to stop into a family dollar somewhere in Georgia and look for a rope. And, and you know, I went into this store and I said to the clerk, do you have any rope? And she looked at me. I was the only person in the store. And she said, no, we don't have any rope. Um, I said, well, I need to tie something up. And she said, well, I don't have any rope, but there's a clothesline back there. And then I said to her, do you have any knife, uh, knives or duct tape? And I'm sure that she thought that I was going to tie her up, duct tape her mouth shut, and you know, steal stuff from the store. Um, so she was looking at me like I was crazy. But really what I wanted to do is I wanted to secure the roof rack. And ever since that point, I decided that I'd go back to what, you know, my, my grandfather used to, to preach, which is be prepared. It's better to have too much with you than too little. And I just keep a little travel bag in the cars. And that way, if there's ever a problem, you know, you, you've got something. Um, so that's just, just a couple pointers that I'd like to make. For those of you who just recently joined in on Meerkat, we talked today about vacation liability, how to prevent some of it, and how to make sure that you have a really good time and not have to worry about injury. We talked about uh, vacation insurance, trip insurance, whether or not it's worth getting trip insurance. We also talked about um, operating your cars safely and the distracted driving statutes that are out there in most states and what you have to know about that. And then we talked about some personal injury issues and one of the main things that I want to just impress upon people, well, two things. One, the doors in hotel rooms. If you have joined me throughout the whole broadcast, you'll know that I talked about an actual case where a, uh, a young boy stuck his hand in the corner of a door, a hotel door, as his sister was leaving the room, and it cut his fingers off. So 
So, you know, be aware of that. Those doors are super heavy and can really act as a guillotine and just, you know, cut a kid's fingers off. And then the other thing that I just am really adamant about is pool safety because in, in a heartbeat, you could, you could just have a drowning incident. And it's really tragic to hear about those things because summer vacation is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a time when you're with your family. Um, you know, and even those extended car rides where the kids keep asking you, are we there yet? When you're older, you're going to look back. You're going you're gonna to kind of wish for those days. You're going to wish you had them back because, you know, it, when you're in it, kids just suck the life out of you. But as they grow and, and you grow and you age, you know, all of a sudden you're like, wow, what happened to this, this little kid? You know, now he's a, he's a teenager. And uh, you start to, to miss those, those days. So enjoy these summer vacations. Enjoy these, these times with your family. Just be aware of some of these things that we talked about today because the worst thing, like I said, is to go away and to try to have a nice vacation with your family and end up with somebody injured because, you know, you didn't either ask the right questions or – Somebody out there was negligent. And, you know, the thing that we talked about, these, these island trips and trips outside the U.S., you know, if somebody's negligent, could you sue them? Yeah. But you have no idea if you are ever going to recover any money. So you have an accident and you're down in, you know, the Dominican Republic or something, and you try to sue them once you get back home. Good luck. Good luck. Because A, most of the time these places don't have any money. B, you're in a different jurisdiction. You're going to have to sue. You can't sue them in the U.S. for a Dominican Republic. I mean, you can't sue somebody like that. There's no long-arm jurisdiction there. So what do you do? It's really kind of, you know, difficult in a practical sense to ever recover money from some of these places. Remember that lady I was telling you about earlier that was on the zip line? And she didn't get adequate training before she went on the zip line. And she stuck her leg out, hit the tree, and the, her leg shattered into pieces. She tried to sue the resort, but they had no money because they were owned by another company who was owned by another company who was owned by another company who was owned by a guy who was owned by another guy who was owned by a company. That's how a lot of these foreign places work. So there's very little opportunity for you to ever get your money back. So you have to be aware of that. So the idea that you can sue is great, but, you know, I would rather not be injured than have an opportunity to sue because, you know, we'll talk about this in other episodes. And, and you know, I've got some um, Q&A for tomorrow for Business and Legal Q&A Live that sort of piggyback off of our discussion today. And today's, today's conversation is very sort of off-the-cuff discussion. It really was not even planned for today because today is legal and business week in review. But over the weekend when I, I had these conversations with some of the people at the, at the barbecue, I just thought it was a good idea being that a lot of people are heading off on vacation now uh, with, with all the kids being out of school. And I just thought it would be a good idea to have this discussion. So, you know, I just want to make you aware of some of these things and if you have any comments or questions or you think about some topics that are also important to you, um, like, for example, earlier in the broadcast, there was a question about credit card insurance. Is credit card insurance good enough or do I need separate vacation or trip insurance? You know, we can talk about that during the week on the legal business and legal Q&A. I think that maybe we should sort of dedicate this week 
to the idea of vacations and safety. I mean, it's like, isn't it Shark Week this week on the Discovery Channel? So uh, it, it's a good time to talk about safety. That's another thing, by the way. You know, I don't know uh, if anybody out there is either they live down North Carolina by the Outer Banks or um, they're traveling down there. I know for me, with the amount of, of shark attacks this year, and again, look, you could say it's sensationalized because that's what the media is focusing on. Maybe there's not a lot of, of big time news, although you think there would be because there has been a ton of news lately. Um, but they're focusing on these shark attacks. I don't know. Maybe they're trying to promote the Discovery Channel. I have no idea. But the fact is, is that nature is unpredictable, and there is no way that I'd let my kids at this point go into an unfamiliar ocean um, and risk, especially in an area where there have been shark sightings. I just wouldn't wouldn't do it. It wouldn't wouldn't work for me um, because a lot of these kids that have been bitten have been in shallow areas. So I'd be too too nervous. That's not a good idea for me. That wouldn't be a fun, relaxing vacation at all. But um, it's just something else that you have to, to look out for. And the other thing, too, is I think that the biggest thing with kids is that it's our responsibility as parents, as sort of overwhelming at times as it can be, to just make sure that we supervise them enough. Because I just can't imagine having a kid injured or killed because I wasn't on top of them enough. I would just feel terrible. You know, last year uh, we went out to Maine for, I guess it was like a week. We went up to Bar Harbor and up to Acadia National Park, which is the most beautiful place, by the way, that I think I've ever been. I just, I love it up there. If it wasn't for the winters, I could move up there. But um, my wife would kill me because she hates snow. But Acadia is beautiful. And last year, my three-year-old, who will be four in August, was two. And, you know, he's a very active kid, a very good kid. But I knew we were going to be going to the National Park. And I knew that there were going to be areas like Thunder Hole. If anybody has ever been to Acadia, you'll know that there's this area in the park called Thunder Hole where the water has come in and has eroded the rock to the point that when the water comes in, it splashes into the rock, it shoots back out, and it makes this really loud thundering noise. It's really amazing. But I knew we were going to be going places like that, and it's a national park. So as far as safety goes, they do their best. But if you're going on a hiking trail, you know, there's only so much that a national park can do to warn you about dangers. Because it is nature. So you have to be prepared. So I never, ever thought in my life, I just don't like them, but I don't, you know, I don't knock them at all. Those backpacks that you give little kids that have the leash on them, you know, I'll, I'll look at them and I'll be like, oh, I'd never do that. But I bought one for my son last year because I knew that we were going to be in areas where we would be climbing on the rocks out in the, in the water. And I just wanted to have just that, that, level of safety so that I could make sure that he was okay. So I bought it and we used it. And it really, uh, I think, made me more relaxed and, and made me have a, a better time because I was able to know that I had some way of, of, of holding him. And we did a ton of stuff, walked on the rocks and whatever. Um, and it was fun. I like to be safe at the same time. 
And, you know, we did this, this hiking trail up the side of a mountain. And, you know, you just have to know what your kids can do. And, and I know that my, one, my oldest son was getting up to the top, and I knew he was going to have a hard time coming down. So I stopped him, and we came down. And, of course, he was mad at me, but I knew that it was going to be in his best interest not to go all the way up to the top. You know, the other thing with, um, with some of the national parks, as long as I'm talking about it, like I said, there's not a tremendous amount of safety measures in place at national parks because you don't want that. You don't want a big you know, barbed wire fence, and, and you want to be able to go experience some of the nature. And, and the, look, like Arizona, the Grand Canyon, what do, you, what do you want them to do, put up a big plexiglass wall so that nobody falls into the Grand Canyon? No, I mean, that would completely defeat the purpose. But the fact is, that if you're not careful with a kid, a kid could fall over into the Grand Canyon. Simple, true fact. So you have to be really on your game as a parent when you've got kids on a vacation like that. Uh, it just is not the kind of place you want to let a kid run around. And I'm not preaching to you. I just have seen a lot of accidents happen that devastate a family. And like, like the kid that lost his fingers in the door. Who would have thought that a kid could lose his fingers in a hotel door when they were, you know, going out of the room? Who would have thought? You know, that family certainly didn't. But fortunately for them, I mean, it was just his fingers. And I say just his fingers, but imagine, imagine having a kid who, who now has their fingers cut off in a door. So I think that discussions like this are good because it just makes us more aware of things that we have to look out for more than, um, you know, than, than, than kind of dealing with it after the fact. I like to talk about things that could happen. You know, summers are supposed to be fun and relaxing. But, I mean, check this out. This is that report that I was telling you about from um, New York courts. Look at the size of this thing. All right, for those of you on Meerkat, check that out. This thing is like an inch thick, and it's called Travel Accidents Abroad 2013, Avoid dangerous vacations. Look at that. Right? This is like a manual that you get from some sort of major piece of equipment. And this whole thing is cases involving injuries and accidents and things that occurred on vacation. You know, and look, just I just happened to pull this one piece out. And remember I was telling you a few minutes ago about the difficulty in suing somebody that is out of the country? So I just happened to pull this. I haven't even read this, but here is a case uh, involving an, a tourist that sprained his ankle while walk, walking off the driveway of the Hyatt Resort and Casino in Manila, Philippines. And Hyatt, which is U.S. Hyatt International Corporation, moved to dismiss the case for jurisdiction. And it was granted. We don't know anything more about this in the blurb, and I just put my finger on this by, by happenstance. But crazy, crazy, because like I said, you know, it's not easy to sue somebody out of state, not out of state, but out of country. Look, here's a couple other ones that are just sort of entertaining. So I'm going to read them to you because here's a guy, and I say entertaining in a very um, tongue-in-cheek manner. Here's a 37-year-old who died of an altitude-related illness while on a geo expedition on Mount Kilimanjaro. Here's another one. 
A British man collapsed and died just a few minutes after reaching Africa's highest peak, Mount Kilimanjaro. I guess you have to be super fit to go to Mount Kilimanjaro. Here's a Hong Kong tourist who drowns as a result of a speedboat accident. And these are the kind of things that we're talking about. This one broke their neck on a, a safari drive through Here's somebody who was killed in a plane accident. You know those, those local planes, those small planes that you take when you're island hopping sometimes? Those things scare me. That's why I don't think I go down there. Uh, but these things are, are real. You know, these are real cases, real injuries. Here's one where somebody died. It was a carnival cruise, and they did an excursion down uh, a river in the rainforest in Belize. And they were going in and out of caves in an inner tube. And during the course of the excursion, the plaintiff began to feel ill and removed her life vest. And when she removed her life vest, she found two small puncture wounds in her left upper arm that were later determined to be a snake bite. And then she had a heart attack. Underwent a successful cardiac surgery. Plaintiff alleges that the snake bite and the treatment that she received as a result caused a myriad of long-term physical and psychological effects, etc. How crazy is that? So you're on this river raft, this tube, this inner tube, you're going down the rainforest of Belize and you start feeling ill and you've been bitten by a snake and you didn't even realize it at the time. That, by the way, is my biggest, I don't like snakes. Could you imagine that? Here's another one. Now, this is, this is more along the lines of um, what we were talking about today. This is on a Princess Cruise Line while on board a purchase ticket holder for an onshore excursion, uh, again, near Belize City, fell through a rotten, broken, and defective boardwalk, causing him to suffer serious personal injury. Obviously, that's a quote from the complaint. That's the kind of legalese that you see. But there's one that fell through rotted wood. Here's the one that fell on slippery rocks, crossing a stream in the Canadian Rockies while participating in a heritage motor tour. Oh, here's, here's one that we were talking about. So this one is Bay Village. And it says it's a full-service resort. And he made these arrangements in this, this one-day fishing trip. And was injured. But then somehow, I'm not sure I, I follow the connection here, then somehow ends up going on a trip to Costa Rica and he is on the Jungle Breezes Canopy Tour zip lining excursion. We just talked about zip lining a little bit ago. And I told you about that woman who smashed her leg into the tree and it shattered into, in, into pieces. Check this one out. So Jungle Breezes Canopy Tour, she, zip lining excursion, claims, she filed claims or he filed claims against the cruise line for negligence and misleading advertising, negligent misrepresentation, 
actual agency and breach of third-party beneficiary because the zip lining course was so small. So, I mean, that, that, that's not even a personal injury. And that just seems to be somebody that's suing. It seems really, really silly. Here's one uh, person in the Galapagos Islands falls off a cliff in Ecuador during a soccer game sponsored by the tour company. Right? Some of these are crazy. Here's another one. This was in Punta Cana. Somebody was on a fishing trip on a dock, and the dock was a movable dock that wasn't secured, and fell, twisted her body, landed on rusty nails, which punctured her leg in several spots. Following the accident, she received treatment from a local Mexican clinic. Her leg swelled, and she needed a, uh, a tetanus shot to treat the puncture wound. And since that time, she alleges that she has required continued care. So, again, we talked about being outside the U.S., A, the difficulty in suing them. And these are prime examples, You know, like the jurisdictional one that we talked about. Here's one that's really a good illustration of what we talked about earlier with respect to medical treatment. So medical treatment is not what it is in the U.S., outside of the U.S. at all. Here's another one. Uh, now, this one was booked through a Michigan travel agent. And, you know, that's interesting. Maybe we'll talk about that during the week. What is the liability that a travel agent here in the U.S. might have for recommending an excursion? So, you know, I guess and I'll have to gauge the interest level after today's show. We can talk about um, the possibility of discussing what you can do if you are injured on a vacation, but I'd rather that nobody get injured. I'd rather that we just have a good time on vacation because there's, well, you know, you get a, a week or two every year for a vacation. Wouldn't it be nice to just really have a relaxed time? But uh, getting back to this one, so this is through a Michigan travel agent. They were featuring accommodations at a Mexican resort. Right now, imagine it. Tell me how much of this sucks. Sleep in the day away. Right, enjoying yourself in Mexico. What's better than being in Mexico on a sunny day on a beach in a hammock? Except when the support poles of the hammock upon which she was laying break, <laughs> causing her to fall and suffer serious head injuries. This person had a fractured skull, had to be airlifted from Cozumel, Mexico, to Broward County, Florida, where she underwent emergency surgery. That's crazy. I mean, I'm laughing, but I'm not really laughing at the person's injury. But imagine that. How how bad could you figure you'd get injured laying in a hammock? But remember when we talked earlier today about inspecting equipment? I know I don't want you to go there and do a 30-point inspection. That's not my point at all. But before you get in something, whether it's a, a jet ski or a speedboat or a hammock, apparently, just check it out. Look at it. Make sure. So you don't want to be in a situation where you're injured abroad, that's for sure. But you don't want to be injured locally either. These are just really, here's another one, uh, hotel guest injured falling from zip line, and this, they sued the Carnival Corporation. Oh, look, look at this one. This one's crazy. This one involves a boy who is terminally ill, and it was his wish to swim with the dolphins. 
After discussing with Carnival, Carnival Cruise Lines, regarding the selection of the tour operator, the plaintiff selected the Control Adora Dolphin SA something something as the tour operator for the Dolphin Encounter in Cozumel, Mexico. After the Dolphin Encounter, plaintiff walked down an unreasonably dangerous stairway to get to the beach and lost her footing, falling and fracturing her left ankle. So obviously it has nothing to do with the terminally ill child. It has to do with the mother who walked down an unreasonably dangerous stairway. Now, the language in here, again, this is written by a lawyer. And it's it's pulled out of the complaints. And that's why there's a lot of this legalese language here. But remember we talked a little bit ago about liability and negligence and unreasonable and what's reasonable and what's not. Well, this is what you're going to find in complaints. Plaintiff walked down an unreasonably dangerous stairway. And we talked about that. If something is is unreasonable, it's based upon the specific circumstances that you're in. So if you're acting unreasonable as a hotel owner, you know, you are compared uh, with other hotel owners who are experiencing the same thing. So if you're similarly situated, um, you know, would a reasonable operator of a hotel do the same thing that you did? And, and that's basically, you know, the whole negligence discussion that we had earlier. I'm not going to go back to that. So that's that's going to do it. I just I was going to end uh, a few minutes ago, but I just thought that some of these stories are just so outlandish and crazy, yet they happen. You know, it's just here's one in Jamaica. Let's see what happened in Jamaica. Okay, so check this out. I'm not making this up. Remember we talked earlier about Jamaica, and I told you how. Um, when I was on my, my track team in college, we went down to Jamaica, and these two girls went outside of the resort and got held up at knife point, and their wallets were stolen. This is absolutely crazy. This happened in 2010, and these people went outside of their resort in Jamaica. And a four-day gun battle erupted. That's crazy. I can't even make this up. So apparently it was in the newspaper. These people were injured. 18 cruise passengers <clears throat> were ambushed and robbed by armed thugs in a daring daylight attack while they were touring the Earth Village nature attraction during a port call in Nassau. Right? Nassau is a very popular destination. Can you... I, I can't even believe... What I'm reading, armed thugs in a daring daylight attack. Here's one in uh, Tobago. A British couple was wounded in a machete attack, and two British women were raped at knife point in their holiday villa. In 2008 in Antigua, honeymooners from Wales were murdered. An Australian yachtsman was shot and killed in Antigua last January. A pregnant U.S. jogger was abducted, raped, and murdered during a run in Puerto Rico. And we talked about Puerto Rico, too. Absolutely unbelievable. Now, while I didn't mean this show to be a, uh, um, you know, traveling outside of the U.S., man, I mean, how could you not... Who hear those things and just want to make sure that 
you know, you're you're prepared for what you're you're going to, and you take all of the necessary steps to keep yourself and your family safe. So that's going to do it with my uh, excessively long rant today. But I, I thought it was was good to do this instead of the um, you know scheduled business and legal week in review. Again, off the cuff, very conversational. We had a lot of friends here from Meerkat join us today, and I thank you. And so, um, you know, a little bit different style for today's show. And for those of you who are going to be listening to this episode later, not live, but later, understand that, you know, we were talking to some of our friends on Meerkat and interacting with them. So if you hear me referencing people and you don't quite know who these people are, that's that's where they're coming from. So that's going to do it for today. Let me just tell you what is coming up this week, because... Um, we do have a lot of things going on, including on Wednesday, our live show with uh, Nate Maingard, who is really a fascinating guy. We're, we're starting on Wednesdays a show called On a Different Note, and it's going to be about music, law, and business, and how these three sort of, of areas combine, you know, because now you're an artist in, in the music industry, and you've got to deal with business and you've got to deal with business people and you've got to deal with agents and lawyers and you need to know exactly what your rights are as an artist. And it's interesting because we as, as business people and entrepreneurs, we can learn from musicians because it's, I think, fascinating to see how somebody can take uh, something artistic and make a business out of it while maintaining the integrity of the art. So we're going to be talking to, uh, to Nate Maingard about that. He has self-promoted himself, uh, everything. I don't, I don't think that he's even involved with a record company. So we're excited to talk to him. So that's happening. Then on Thursday, we have Jillian Siegel, who's going to be talking about her book, Getting There. So that's exciting. We're going to look out for that this Thursday. Tomorrow, we're going to do the business and legal Q&A live. Uh, it's our regular scheduled show. We'll be back next week doing the Business and Legal Week in Review on Monday. Today was just a special episode due to the questions that I received over the 4th of July weekend. And um, we've got a ton of new stuff coming up, too. I want you to check out the new utlradio.com. It's utlradio.com. You could also go to understandingthelawradio.com. They're both the same um, but we've got a lot of things coming up, and what I really am in the process of doing is trying to make the site very functional for do-it-yourselfers out there. Because you know, you know what I've, I've found? Uh, I've found lately that so many people, they want to understand the law, they want to understand business, they want to understand being an entrepreneur, and they want to be self-sufficient or self-reliant and they don't want to have to spend a ton of the money that they might want to put into marketing or advertising on legal services or business services and what i find is that they're out there buying forms from staples or an office store and you know they're not getting the information that they really need and they're putting out these forms or they're going to a place like legal zoom who they don't really understand what it is that that the business owner is trying to accomplish and they get bad product. So we're going to be putting out a series of forms and legal forms for you guys to sort of, of 
do it yourself. It's a DIY type service, and that's why we do Understanding the Law Radio, UTL Radio, because I want you to understand some of these issues out there. I want you to understand how you analyze a negligence claim or understand how you put together you know, some legal writing. If you're going to write to the court or a letter or even if you're just writing to your neighbor about a tree that's hanging over in your property. So I want you to, to, to check that out on the site because all of these things are going to be coming up in the very near future. Uh, but the site has been completely redesigned. And uh, I want to thank all of you who have commented on the site and, and you know, said that, that you like what you see. So I really do appreciate that. Thanks, everybody, for joining me today live on Meerkat. And, um, and for all of you who are listening live on Blog Talk Radio or watching live on YouTube Live. And for those of you who will download this show later, don't forget to subscribe to the show. There's so many ways to do it. You can subscribe on Blog Talk Radio. You can subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on YouTube and check out the videos. There's a lot more on YouTube than just UTL Radio. There's Understanding Business. There's also um, some of the Law Basics series where we go through some practical elements and what you need to know about lawsuits and how to represent yourself and how to handle certain things and situations on your own. So that's all there. Make sure that when you watch a video, then you give a thumbs up. Let me know that you like it. Uh, give me some comments. Let me know what you'd like to see or what other information you'd like addressed. You know, I know that um, the law and business is not always a fun subject, especially the law. Look, the law is boring. And I mean, those people out there that say, oh, I'm a lawyer and I love the law. I think they're crazy. Like they've got to be smoking something because I don't know how you could love the law. The law is something that we as a society have created. Okay. It's not, you know, some sort of divine law. There's nothing to love about it. It is what it is. And I think that it's our obligation to question the law to make sure that the law still serves us as people. That's why, you know, we have, uh, we have now, you know, gay marriage being passed by the Supreme Court because we've looked at that law and we've said, listen, that law needs to be here because it needs to address our needs as we move forward as a nation. Um, but that's what the law is. So how anybody can say, and I'm not knocking those people out there that are lawyers who really do somehow love the law, good for you. I don't know how you love it. it it's a necessary thing. It's necessary to protect yourself. It's necessary to protect your company. It's necessary to make sure that you know what your rights are so that in the event you are injured or damaged or something happens to you, you do have some recourse. That's important. But loving the law, not so much. And I understand that. And I know that uh, a show like this one where we're talking a lot about law isn't always super fun. I try to make it fun. I try to, you know, that's why I don't lay out and plan these episodes so uh, anal retentively because doing that to me Sure, it might give the show more of a well-thought-out professional feel, but I'd rather talk with you. I'd rather have a conversation with you. I'd rather be somebody that you know you, you can talk to at a barbecue, not some lawyer dressed up in their fancy suit who's going to look down their nose at you. That's why I don't like lawyers to begin with, because I think that simply because you're a lawyer doesn't make you better than anybody. You know what it means? It means you paid a lot of money to go to law school. It means you work really long days. And it, it means that you give up a lot of time 
with your family. That's what it means, practically speaking. So, you know, I, I want to talk about that practical element of law, not this fanciful crap about loving the law. I don't love the law, okay? I want to make sure that the laws are there for us so that we know how to interpret them, that the laws are right, that they're helping us, because this is supposed to be a government, you know, of the people, by the people, for the people. And so that's why we've got these checks and balance systems in place. That's why we can say we want this law passed and not that law. And that's the point of it. And a lawyer interprets those laws and helps promote people's legal rights. That's, that's, that's it. And that's what I want to do for you. And that's the purpose of this show. But what I'd love, love, love to hear from you guys is if you've listened to or watched more than one episode of this program or any of the related UTL radio shows, I would love to hear feedback from you, good, bad, or indifferent. If you don't like me, tell me. If you do like it, tell me. I would rather have as much feedback as possible so that I can continue to make this show something that you guys really, really love. I'd like to see you know, the followers grow. I mean, we've had a lot of interest lately, and a lot of people have subscribed on YouTube, and I really appreciate that. But I want to see that you, know, you guys are... are getting something from this and that this is the right thing for you that it's not super boring so please give me some feedback let me know what you guys think i want to thank everybody for joining me thank everybody out there on meerkat um, i'm still getting used to the idea of using meerkat so bear with me uh, thanks everybody for downloading and uh, we will be back tomorrow with business and legal q a live 10 a.m eastern time It'll be streamed on Meerkat. It'll also be streamed on YouTube, live, blog talk, radio. So it'll be all over. And um, that's going to do it. And then don't forget, we've got Wednesday's show with Nate Mingard and Thursday's show um, with uh, Jillian Siegel. It's going to be great. Thank you very much. And remember that there's power in understanding the law. All right, so uh, thanks to everybody out there on Meerkat that um, tuned in today. You know, again, I'm, I'm sort of experimenting with Meerkat. I have to tell you that today's show was um, a little rushed and not exactly planned the way that it normally is. Um, you know, we we do on Mondays the Week in Review, Business and Legal Week in Review. Uh, but I had a, a conversation with somebody over the weekend and um, you know, it just made me start thinking about this idea of, of safety and vacations and what you need to know. And so I just sort of um, came up with this right before we were going to, to go on. Uh, my co-host for today's show is on vacation, so it's going to be me. And I thought, you know, why not take this opportunity and talk a little bit, um, you know, about that. So that's what we did. And, um, you know... This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives.
Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love. Like taking those perfect new year, new you, portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-Mobile to learn more or visit a store today.